Welcome to this episode of Clearly Crypto, the podcast that guides you through the ever-evolving world of cryptocurrency. Your hosts, Aaron and Corey, are here to educate and spur conversation, but they are not financial advisors. So do your own research before you buy, sell, or trade. The show is about to start, but first, let's take a look behind the curtain. Welcome to your look behind the curtain. Each episode, I will do a short segment where I will tackle a certain portion or segment of the existing financial system in an attempt to highlight the inefficiencies, waste, and fraud that exists and show how cryptocurrency and blockchain technology may provide solutions to those problems. If you have any topics you'd like covered in a future episode, please reach out to us with your suggestions at clearlycryptopod at gmail.com or any one of our other Clearly Crypto social media platforms. And now, let's peel back that curtain. Bill Gates recently made crypto headlines when he changed his normally positive stance on Bitcoin in a Reddit AMA. The Microsoft founder and billionaire said, The main feature of cryptocurrencies is their anonymity. I don't think this is a good thing. He added, The government's ability to find money laundering and tax evasion and terrorist funding is a good thing. Right now, cryptocurrencies are used for buying fentanyl and other drugs, so it is a rare technology that has caused deaths in a fairly direct way. This is in stark contrast to comments he has made previously on the cryptocurrency when he called Bitcoin a technological tour de force and that it was better than currency. I think this is an extremely nearsighted view, and honestly, I thought Gates had more vision than this. Bitcoin is a technology and has many applications, but its first and most obvious is to act as a currency. I think you could make a fair argument that any good currency should have the ability to purchase all goods and services, including drugs and other illegal or illicit things. But let's get serious for a minute. The number one currency used to purchase everything from illegal firearms to drugs to financing terrorism and human trafficking is the U.S. dollar. Maybe Gates think we should ban all cash transactions too as they limit the government's ability to track every purchase every citizen makes. But this got me thinking, if Bitcoin is being used by bad actors to make tracking of illegal transactions more difficult, then how are the big banks doing when it comes to identifying and reporting potential money laundering crimes? You know, the major crimes that are connected to drug trafficking and other serious financial crimes. I'm sure you'll all be shocked and horrified to learn that big banks are some of the most serious offenders of not only money laundering for the major drug cartels, but basically the biggest violators of every major financial law on the books. Let me give you an example of one of the most egregious cases of money laundering in recent history. During a federal investigation in 2012, HSBC admitted to laundering billions of dollars for Colombian and Mexican drug cartels, among others, and violating a host of important banking laws from the Bank Secrecy Act to the Trading with the Enemy Act. These are the same cartels that are responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths, both directly through their murderous turf wars in border towns throughout the U.S. and Mexico, and indirectly through the worldwide drug epidemic they've helped to spread and create. Although HSBC openly admitted that they were guilty of breaking some of the most serious financial crimes on the books, the U.S. Justice Department elected not to pursue criminal prosecutions of the bank, opting instead for a record-breaking settlement of $1.9 billion. Sounds like a lot of money, right? Well, this is only about five weeks' worth of income for the bank. 
To add insult to injury, HSBC was able to claw back deferred compensation bonuses given to some of its most senior U.S. anti-money laundering and compliance officers and agreed to partially defer bonus compensation for some of the senior officials during the five-year period of the deferred prosecution agreement. Wow. So the executives who spent a decade laundering billions and billions of dollars will have to partially defer some of their bonuses during the deferred prosecution agreement? Are you fucking kidding me? That's the punishment? The government's negotiators couldn't hold firm on forcing HSBC officials to completely wait to receive all of their ill-gotten bonuses? They had to settle on making them partially wait. What a joke. Though this was not stated explicitly, the government's rationale in not pursuing criminal prosecution against the banks was apparently rooted in concerns that putting executives from a systemically important institution in jail for drug laundering would threaten the stability of the financial system. Sounds eerily familiar uh, to the rationale that was used to bail out the banks in 2008. Hmm. Doesn't take a genius to see that the reasoning here is beyond flawed. When you decide not to prosecute bankers for billion-dollar crimes connected to drug dealing and terrorism, some of HSBC's Saudi and Bangladeshi clients had terrorist ties, according to a Senate investigation, it doesn't protect the banking system. It does exactly the opposite. It terrifies investors and depositors everywhere, leaving them with the clear impression that even the most reputable banks may, in fact, be captured institutions whose senior executives are in the employ of, this can't be repeated often enough, murderers and terrorists. Even more shocking, the Justice Department's response to learning about all this was to do exactly the same thing that the HSBC executives did in the first place to get themselves into trouble. They took money to look the other way. So you might ask, what's the appropriate financial penalty for a bank in HSBC's position? Exactly how much money should one extract from a firm that has been shamelessly profiting from business with criminals for years and years? Remember, we're talking about a company that is admitted to a smorgasbord of serious banking crimes. If you're the prosecutor, you've got this bank by the balls. So how much money should you take? How about all of it? How about every last dollar the bank has made since it started its illegal activity? How about you dive into every bank account of every single executive involved in this mess and take every last bonus they've ever earned. Then take their house and their cars and all of their paintings and expensive jewelry, everything in their house. Take it all and don't think twice. And then throw them in jail. Sounds harsh? A little bit, maybe. The only problem is that's exactly what the government does just about every day to ordinary people involved in ordinary drug cases. It's not uncommon for citizens to have the book thrown at them for simple possession or for having large amounts of cash that may have been involved, may have been involved in the drug trade or may be in the future. The hypocrisy is astounding. Not that most people didn't already know this, but this just makes it official that the war on drugs is a joke. Unfortunately, this is often the norm and not the exception. Many other U.S. and foreign banks have been found guilty of serious crimes ranging from supporting terrorism, arms trafficking, and the sale of nuclear technologies, prostitution, commission of tax evasion, smuggling, and illegal immigration, just to name a few. The truth is, this is just another very lucrative revenue stream for many banks. They know that they can literally get away with murder, and they will only face a slap on the wrist if they are caught, and if they are prosecuted. Only fines, no jail time. It's a tax. 
Cryptocurrencies have only been around since 2009, and the war on drugs has been failing for decades before Satoshi unleashed his creation onto the world. So maybe, just maybe, when we're looking at new fintech such as cryptocurrencies, we should take into account their ability to create a clear, transparent, permanent, public record of every transaction. This tech could potentially aid investigators in identifying and preventing these types of serious crimes much more efficiently, while making it more difficult for banks and cartels to obfuscate their records and launder their dirty drug money. And this has been your look behind the curtain. And welcome to episode five of the Clearly Crypto podcast. Hopefully this is coming to you guys pretty soon after the last ones you got to listen to. We just, we have so much to talk about. We couldn't wait. We had to get back to some recording. Yeah, I got some real good feedback after those, those first four. So excited to start number five and uh, hopefully keep getting this to you guys on a semi-regularly basis, maybe every uh, week or two. Yeah, if we can at least go bi-weekly, that would be fantastic. And hey, bi is great anyway, so. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about today, Aaron? Uh, well, I thought we'd take a look at the environmental cost of mining. Um, that question comes up quite a bit uh, when people look at mining and how resource intensive it is with the consumption of electricity. So we'll do kind of a brief overview on that, maybe get a little bit into some of the topics, but I think that's yeah. really worthy of, of maybe doing a deep dive. Yeah, that's um, a big in topic. Episode eight. Yeah. Lots of technical going on with that topic. Yeah, exactly. So. We'll look a little bit at that, and then I think after that, we should probably talk a little bit about uh, stocks and crypto. I hear a lot, uh, get a lot of questions about people. They don't understand that, that crypto, Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies are not stocks. So yeah, we'll dig into that. Yeah, kind of explore the yeah that's and... that's a very, very common one. I, I used to fall on the camp too. Well, it's just a stock. Right. But So we're going to delve into that. I'm going to play a little bit of uh, the bad guy on that one, I okay. think. Hopefully clear that up a little bit. And of course, if we have enough time at the end, I'd like to go back and revisit wallets for just a bit and try to break it down a little bit more for beginners, just yeah. so they have a better idea how to really get started. Because I know that is okay. it's it's a big first step for yeah, people. Yeah, it can that, be daunting. Yeah, for sure. It's it's different. It's a different model than than most people are used to. It's new, you know, something we haven't seen before. So it's it's worth going over a few times. I think. Yes, most definitely. So, uh, but before we get going, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, one question to answer. Yes. So when you're mining, mm -hmm. all the miners are fighting against each other. Right. That there can only be one winner for each block. Yeah. It's like Highlander. There can only be one. Right? Yeah. At least every 10 minutes or so. So that's crazy to me. It <laughs> took me a while. So you can go like if you have a really good mining rig, you might get one block every uh, month and a half or so. Right. Which is a cool... That's if you had, yeah, a warehouse full of really good mining yeah. rigs. Yeah, but you're still talking $125,000, give or take. Right. So that's not so bad every month and a half or so. Right. So yeah, there can be only one. Yeah, that is true. So, um, But a lot of people are probably thinking, well, that's not really fair. Why do people even mine in the first place? And I think we touched on this. Most people, even the huge uh, warehouses full of miners, they uh, contribute to pools. So you'll have a, right. a, a pool with everybody mining, contributing their mining power. And then regardless of who wins that, whose actual individual miner mm -hmm. wins, uh, solves the block and wins that uh, 10 Bitcoin. Um, you get paid back in hash, hash power. You get paid back in your hashing power. Right. Exactly. So it's not as much money, but it's consistent. Amount. Right. Yeah. So you, so can, you get a consistent right. payout. Yeah. Most businesses would, you know, 
go out of business, they'd fail if they were solely relying on that, on that block reward. They have to be able to anticipate how much they can make daily, weekly right. in block rewards proportional to their hash power and, and get that back. So Because they have enormous costs, they have to pay for that electricity <laughs> and pay their employees and all of that. So Okay, cool. So, and the other thing was we're trying we're trying to figure out how to be a little bit more clear in our conversations here on Clearly Crypto. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of people that had a little confusion. So, in the blockchain, when we're building a blockchain, when we're building the individual blocks, the transactions that go into those, mm-hmm. those are the actual like I bought a car, that's a transaction. I traded some Bitcoin over here, that's a transaction. So, it's yeah. every single transaction goes into that block. It's right. not just Anytime there's Bitcoin moving from one address to another, that's a transaction. There can There's other types of transactions as well where you're not actually sending any Bitcoin, but you can basically sign something to cryptogra- cryptographically prove that you have ownership over that wallet and those Bitcoin. But we want to get into that. But yes, essentially yeah. every, every transaction is coins moving from one public address to another. Awesome. So hopefully that clears things up for those of you that had a few questions. Keep those coming. That's what's going to keep us on our toes and making things so that you can understand them. Because if you don't give us feedback, we could be talking out our asses and right. we wouldn't even know it. Yeah. And ultimately, <laughs> we're here for you guys. We're not trying to monetize this in any way. So if you guys have questions, let us know and hopefully we can get you guys the answers. Uh, we're just trying to grow this community and, and spread the knowledge. Yeah. This is your podcast. Treat right. it accordingly. There you go. All right. Let's get on. Okay. Get on with the show. <laughs> This is the Clearly Crypto Podcast. Okay, Aaron, this topic here is actually a listener-driven topic. All right. Uh, So we got a message from on Facebook from our listener, Sean Dore in Austin, Texas. He says, I'm curious as to where you guys land on the ever-increasing cost of electricity to be used in mining, i.e. to verify transactions. It seems like over time this will become a major problem. Right. You have a response to that, Aaron? <laughs> that's a lot. That's a that's a really good question, actually. It's one of the things that are uh, really hotly debated within um, the space. Uh, and there's a few different ways that you can look at that. So I guess the first thing you need to look at is what does mining actually accomplish? What does that actually mean? And is it worth the expenditure of electricity um to, right, because it, 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 it's a lot of electricity. It I is. BBC says it's something like 32 terawatt hours annually. Like That's what it takes to power Denmark. Yeah, it, it's quite a bit. So, um, yeah, we'll do a brief overview, and hopefully we can dive into a little bit deeper um, on episode eight, get you guys some more numbers and kind of get into the weeds on it, but just kind of an overview. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is, what is the importance of that? Well, one of the key features of Bitcoin – um, is its immutability. So what is immutability? Immutability. I don't <laughs> I just know. You. That's, there you go. <laughs> immutability. Oh, you can't shut me up. You can't shut you up, right? Dang, yeah. I have a hard yeah. enough time doing that. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what it is, is how hard is it to go back and change the record? All Can right, you go yeah. back and change a transaction? Uh, and that's really one of the main things that mining does. Yes, it, it uh, secures the transactions, validates transactions. Um, but the reason why there's the, 
Bitcoin is the upper range of immutability. So when you think mm-hmm. how difficult is it to change a record, just records in general, how hard is it to go back and change the record? Most systems that we have as a society as a whole, not that difficult. You, you can usually go back and, and change, fudge the numbers, change the records if you want to. With Bitcoin, the amount of energy and hardware required to go back and change a transaction, even in the last block or two, are so enormous that it's, for all intents and purposes, uh, impossible or impractical. So, so kind of in a way, what, what a lot of people see as a weakness is actually one of the strengths. Yeah. So then you ask, well, what is that worth? What what does it mean to have a system that is the upper range of immutable? So you can go on there and, uh, you know, record whether it's just, you know, the first application of Bitcoin, which is currency exchange, or whether you want to go on there and record um, deeds to a house, titles, anything like that, to have a permanent record that cannot be undone. No governments, mm-hmm. um officials and nobody can go back and change that record Uh, when you start to look at it that under that perspective from that lens i think you kind of start to see the value in it because yeah ultimately bitcoin is a trust machine it's a trust mechanism so you can only trust the records as far as they're immutable right um and you know there's probably another topic for another day but (laughs) There's uh, around the world in third world countries, especially in countries that are you know war torn. There's a lot of disputes over who owns what land and what houses for one reason or another. And a lot of times the records are terrible at best. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can have a uh, a public worldwide global blockchain that runs on proof of work, where it's extremely impossible or extremely difficult, if not impossible, to change those records, right. then you can have a permanent record of not only uh, money, currency transactions, but also any other type of, uh, you know, record transaction, right, deed right. to house, title, car, whatever the case might okay. be. Okay, so that's why it's that's why it's worthwhile so, to expend all of this energy and resources into doing it. Right. There's there's different systems. So Bitcoin is was the first and the original and what is called proof of work. So you have to. Uh, contribute all that mining hash power to keep the network secure and, and mm-hmm. we kind of covered that in the last episode yeah um but there's all there's other cryptocurrencies that run on other different types of consensus mechanisms mm-hmm. um that run on proof of stake so you are rewarded with coins based on how many coins you already have uh and we could probably save that that's another topic yeah, for definitely. another day proof of work versus proof of stake um, but that's why the proof of work is important okay. is to secure the ledger. Okay. Now, that's one angle that you right. can look at. It. Why okay. is it important and is it actually a waste? Um, I don't think so. I think it's important to have the, the proof of work, uh, the the fundamental blockchain that has all of that computing mm-hmm. power uh, directed towards it. The other, the other angle, the other way to look at it is what could it potentially replace? Uh-huh. It's easy. It's very easy to pinpoint the electricity going towards Bitcoin because there's not a lot of, how do you say, public infrastructure, I guess. The costs are very apparent and upfront. You can calculate how much hash power is going towards the network, and you can pretty easily do some math and figure out how much energy consumption that costs for that proof of work. Okay. But now look at our traditional systems, trust mechanisms that we have. We have governments. We have all different types of intermediaries, uh, fiduciaries, escrow, title uh, companies, banks, 
and you look at all of the costs that are associated with that, and those are much more hidden costs. Mm-hmm. The amount of maintaining those data centers, the skyscrapers, you know, that have the lights on all the time, uh, the amount that it takes to transport physical currency, keeping the banks open, all of those things that are, I think, a lot more uh, hidden costs right. as opposed to what you can readily apparently see in Bitcoin. Okay, so, so you're saying kind of it's it's very likely that they're on par with each other. Not even Or close. even I, less for, for we'll, we'll cryptocurrencies? Look at the numbers. Yeah, I would imagine that all of the cryptocurrency proof-of-work systems combined don't even can't even hold a candle to the amount of energy consumption um, in the traditional systems that okay. we currently use. So I mean, I guess you could throw in there the gasoline to get to the office, yeah. the air conditioning to keep the office cool, to keep the server room cool, the... The, the yeah. money you put into the computers, energy you put into the computers to right. do all the accounting and payroll. The, cars, and, the actual production okay. of the physical bills okay. and on and on and on and on. I mean, do you on. think, though, it is a, it's a valid concern how much energy is being consumed just because energy, until we get to a lot better grid than we have right now with a right. lot better sources of power, it's still a finite thing and we're digging it out of the ground to do it. Uh-huh. And it gets expensive and it's not very good for the environment so is it i guess what i'm asking is the power requirement is it growing over time okay and if it is and this is probably something for the deep dive Uh what can we do to bring that down because we want to be environmentally responsible as well i i do right personally i do i think most (laughs) people are leaning that way yeah Yeah, I'm, i'm with you right there um and that's a lot to dissect and digest. <laughs> no, but. come on. I need a three-word answer now. <laughs> so to back it up a little bit, I guess. So I'll try to unpack that a little bit. Uh, so you're saying it, it consumes a lot of energy. It's true. And it's not necessarily the cleanest of energy. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of coal uh, and not you know renewable sources that are being used for mining. However, I think that as a whole, the industry is leaning towards pursuing renewable energy, sun, uh, wind, you know, hydroelectric, because if they can find those locations and source that energy cheaper, ultimately that's that's the main cost in mining mm-hmm. is the electricity. So if you can find cheap, renewable energy, those companies are going to go after that. And that's one thing that is great about the industry of mining is that it's not they're not locked geographically. You can move anywhere. You right. can move your mining rig wherever the energy is cheap. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing more and more is a lot of people are, are searching that out and trying to, to get a hold of that cheap renewable yeah, it, energy. It, it does seem that in the U.S. at least, a lot of the people that are in, in this – space there are environmentally conscious people there's a lot of green initiatives that's mm-hmm. something they're concerned about as well so they'll be looking for solutions right and you know i've done some reading and, and listened to some other uh, people speak on this subject and one of the things that it could also do is help push uh, renewable subsidies because when you have a solar farm or any type of renewal, renewable energy, it's extremely expensive to store that energy. Yeah. So that's why you see a lot of times, um, I think it happened in Germany um, most recently, they were actually paying people to use that electricity mm-hmm. because it's more, it costs more for them to, to try you to You see a lot of energy. idle windmills because there's not the demand for the energy at the right. moment. Yeah. So what we're seeing and what I think we'll continue to see is mining operations seeking that out because if you can get paid to consume electricity, you know, obviously that's a lot better than, than so it could be a good vehicle to spur the clean energy it could be yeah and and as you said there's a lot of projects um 
It's are, a constant draw of power, and what does an elect- a, a renewable electrical grid want? A constant, steady... Exactly. I so never even thought of that. Yeah, Man, yeah. I'm, I'm smart. Most people that consume power, they have high seasons, low seasons. Yeah. Mining is Server farm is boom. Yeah, that's exactly what I need, and that's what... Huh. Yeah, that's what the uh, renewable... That's what they want to see, and that's that's good for mine. So they're well, tailor made so. for each other. Kinda. Okay. We'll see how it how it progresses, but I mean, um, in a perfect world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to look at it from another angle, because that was a pretty big question. So we have that aspect of it, but then we also have to look at. Um, so we're consuming quite a bit right now. What did you say? There was thirty two terawatt, terawatt hours. Right. It's a lot of energy. But the network does not have to grow symmetrically with the increase in user base. What does that mean? So the amount of, of hashing power that we have right now could support, um, I don't know, I'm kind of pulling this number out of, the, <laughs> out of nowhere, but maybe five to ten times as many users on the network. Mm-hmm. Because we have way more hashing. We, our, the, the Bitcoin network in particular is extremely secure with the amount of um, hash power that we have. So the user base could grow tenfold. We could have you know ten times as many users, and we wouldn't necessarily need more people mining. Right. So the infrastructure is already ready to to scale without more right. energy cost. Yes. And speaking of scaling, that's another way that you could look at it. Is right now everything happens on main chain, essentially on the on the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm-hmm. But there's all these um, there's second layer scaling solutions being built. Lightning Network being one of them. Uh, it's being developed really fast i think a lot quicker than most people anticipated a lot of progress with that we'll look at that That'd we're gonna have to talk about a, lightning a network at some point yeah i don't even know what the segment. hell that is i've heard the term yeah i don't just, know just an overview <laughs> brief real real quick top level is um it's a second layer solution on top of that where transactions are not settled on the bitcoin blockchain so you open up a payment channel mm-hmm. and then you can pay anybody else that is connected to your payment channel okay so for instance real quick sample if you're starbucks i come in and buy a coffee um i can send you money on top of lightning network anybody else that's connected to you starbucks i can also send and receive payments from them uh-huh. and until we close those channels nothing is actually recorded on the bitcoin okay. blockchain but it's still cryptographically secure a lot of the same principles supply or, or apply it's just not actually settle okay. on the main network until after that channel closes. So that's like aggregating a bunch of transactions mm-hmm. and sending that as one transaction into the block. That's exactly right. So okay. you can have it open for a year or two years. There could be literally billions of transactions that have happened. And then once those channels close for whatever reason, you know, it's just a... But that's going to be one That's bit when the coins get settled yeah. on the main okay. network. So. Okay, so it'll take the boat load off right. of, of that block. Right, that's exactly what it's going to do is it's going to get a lot of the transactions off of the main chain, which in theory should reduce the amount of our need for miners and hopefully bring down some of that power mm-hmm. consumption. Um, also, as we as we move along through time, we've we talked about how the uh, block reward decreases. Right. So it started at 50, 25. We're at 12 and a half now. It's 6.25 gonna, in 2020. Yeah, there you go. So it's I'm learning drop, things. <laughs> it's going to drop in half again. And what that should do is start to thin the herd as well. Because as the block reward decreases, the reward decreases, it should de-incentivize Miners, right across the industry, because it'll be less profitable for people mm-hmm. to mine. So just be your weekend warrior miners that are going to kind of be like, yeah, I can't really afford this. Right? Yeah, like people that are running it in their basement, it's probably not going to be worthwhile. Okay. Um. So yeah, kind of two angles. Sad. People will be seeking. 
cheap electricity. Hopefully that'll be through renewable resources, but then also, um, I, yeah, I've, I'll have to get you some numbers when we go into the deep dive, but like I said, the, the network right now is way more secure than we actually need. So we could scale back a little bit on mm-hmm. the mining, um, across as long as it doesn't become too centralized. Okay. But, we could scale back on that and still have okay. enough security for a secure proof of work system. All right. So let me try to do a little quick synopsis sure. to close this out. So mining takes up a lot of power, but right. that power can be offset by using green alternative energies that gives that constant power consumption that is good for those energies. So in a way, it can spur on good, good clean, green energy. Mm-hmm. As well as the fact that we're not fully utilizing the, the the capacity that the mining has right now. Not only that, there's something that we can put on top of it to help alleviate the number of transactions going into it, thus kind of bringing down your power consumption. And over time, mm-hmm. as, this, as the network and the, the currency gets more well-established and more people buy into it, it's also going to probably bring down the level, the amount of people that are actually mining and consuming that energy. So we're not really going on a straight upward trajectory. It's mm-hmm. going to level off and maybe even dip. Yeah, that was a pretty good summary. <laughs> that's, that's right <laughs> on. So um, we'll see if that actually happens. Again, this is hotly contested and debated yeah. topic. So if you guys have input or see it from a different angle, hey, I'm just um, feeding off your opinion. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly what it is. That's my opinion. I'm not an expert in uh, in those fields, but it's fun to look at, fun to talk about, and uh, I'm going to do my homework to get some actual numbers. And maybe when we look at it a little bit closer, we can kind of dissect it a little further. Yeah, and if you disagree and think we're stupid, there's Twitter, there's <laughs> Telegram, the there's Facebook, so, yeah. <laughs> there's clearlycryptopod at gmail.com. Yep, and while you're on there, if you like it, make sure you give us that uh, five-star rating and the like. Appreciate it. Yeah, so feedback. Tell us we're stupid. We're, <laughs> we're big boys. We can take that. Uh, but hey, you know what, Aaron? I, I value your opinion I like what I heard because I was a little bit skeptical going into this, and I know we have probably an hour worth of this to talk about, at least to scratch the surface, but hopefully that helped everybody with just a little quick overview. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully it helped, and I'm going to learn more as well. I'll be doing my homework, so. All right. You keep learning. I'll keep learning. You guys keep learning, too. Sounds good. So you commonly hear, I hear it all the time. Well, Bitcoin's just another stock. Yeah. I heard that the other day when the the price had uh, dropped down to, I think it was around 6,000 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, somebody was like, oh, did you see that the the stock price just split on Bitcoin? And I was like, that's wrong on a few different levels, but okay. And I know this is this is actually a difficult one. It took it's. I'm still working on it myself. My wife is still trying to parse her way through it, and she's a hell of a lot smarter than I am. Okay. And and I get the logic behind it because a stock you buy it, you hope the price goes up so that you make a profit. Right. Right now, what is everybody doing with cryptocurrencies? You buy a cryptocurrency, you hope the price goes up yeah. so that you make some profit off of it. Right. Yeah. A lot of it's just speculation. Yeah. Mo- most people, I would dare say, most people that are buying cryptocurrencies aren't using it to buy products. No, I would agree with you. That's that. Yeah. So tell me, Aaron, <laughs> how is cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin? How are they not like a stock? Okay. Well, I guess the first thing is to look at what a stock is for those of you that might not know exactly. Um, a stock is essentially ownership in a company. So when you're buying a, a stock, 
that's a, a small ownership and a piece of that company. So companies have responsibilities to their shareholders to turn a profit, right? If you buy Apple stock or, or whatever the case might be, Microsoft, that company has a responsibility to ensure that that stock price goes up. Uh, it's in their, their best interest, their bottom line, because, because essentially when you buy stock, you're investing in the company. You're saying, I have faith in this company that they're going to continue to uh, produce. They're going to innovate, whatever the case might mm-hmm. be. So when you buy that piece of the company, they're... You know, it's it's not really worth anything until you go to cash it in, although the company gets that money. So that's a form of uh, capital raising that the company receives. And in turn, you own a small piece of that company. Mm-hmm. So that's what a stock is. What is cryptocurrency? What is a bit? What is Bitcoin? Well, obviously, if you've been paying attention, you know that there is no company. There's no <laughs> nobody owns it. There's no president. There's no board members um, for cryptocurrency. Uh so what does that mean is that there's no responsibility to the shareholders. It's just purely code. Uh, the people that are writing the code, making the GitHub commits and things like that, all they're doing is making the best technology that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And if that technology has utility and people are using it, whether it's speculation or they're actually doing something with it, then the price is going to go up. But ultimately, the people that are, are doing that, creating the technology... Um, they don't have the same responsibility to their shareholders that a company with stock okay. does. So would you say that one thing that even though right now it, it feels like a stock because it is mostly a vehicle for profit for most people that are investing in it, Right. in the long term, once when you reach that critical mass, it's actually you're going to differentiate itself out. I think so. We'll see. It's it's kind of interesting because if we, as we've said in the past, it's it's a new technology. Mm-hmm. It's something that we've never seen. So the easiest way to equate it, and I think that's probably why people go to, it's a stock. Yeah, or people like tangible price. things that they understand yeah, and because know. That's what we've been dealing with for the past century. So it just makes sense to talk about the stock price, but it's it's not a stock. Um, Stock implies ownership, um, personhood, in order to issue and to own that. Mm -hmm. One thing that's unique about cryptocurrency is that it does not require personhood. Mm -hmm. All it is is code. It's programmable money. So anybody can own it, and not just anything, anybody, but anything. Your refrigerator can own Bitcoin. Okay. Um, Your self-driving car can own Bitcoin. Right. And that's maybe something that we'll get into in a future episode, but the uh, DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. So you can have entire companies that aren't owned by anybody. Hmm. Um, You know, like I said, we're having self-driving cars. What What would it look like if you had a company like Uber with self-driving cars but the the program was written in such a way to where it just continually tried to optimize itself mm-hmm. and the way that it could do this is by putting out bounties for people for coders to write code to improve their code or their protocol so they could say if you write a, an upgrade then you know and it produces a certain percentage of user increase uh-huh. or you know, money influx, then we'll reward you by paying you with, you know, some small percentage of of whatever currency. Right. So you can have programs, decentralized autonomous organizations that are running themselves, having people write code for them and continuously. Okay. So, so I guess right now it's in a way, what you're saying is we equate it to stock so much because we don't have any other basis to compare it with. Right, and yeah, because that's a little bit of attention, but yeah, but but it, but because people are treating it 
like a stock right now because it's not because it's such early days. Yeah, and they don't have anything. There's no other watermark to equate it to. That's right. all we've known. It's a financial instrument, you know, that's increasing, decreasing in value. People mm-hmm. are buying it. What must be a stock, right? Yeah, we're, we're still something. in. I guess we're still inventing terms to actually quantify what's going on, right? Because we we're borrowing things. Okay, so another thing that makes it confusing: you hear about stock major companies have their initial public offering, right? What do cryptocurrencies have now? An initial, initial coin, coin offering. offering. Right. Ooh, sounds a lot <laughs> like a stock, right? And yeah, exactly. And in that regard, it kind of is, which further conflates the issue, makes it a little bit more confusing. <laughs> um. And we'll see the, the regulatory bodies, as we talked about before, still trying to figure that out. Which mm-hmm. ones constitute securities, which ones don't. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out. Yeah. But that's essentially what a security is. If a company creates an ICO, they have a utility token that solves whatever particular problem by utilizing a blockchain, and they're issuing it out, does that constitute a security in a stock? Um it kind of depends. Yeah. It kind of looks like it might. So yeah. yeah, we'll see how that how that goes. Like I said, this might rewrite the rules on financial institutions. If this becomes the norm, we might, you know, the the stock market and the traditional market that we've seen might transition into just becoming the crypto market. They might all become ICOs, yeah. and that's how you know stocks become tokens. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. I, be, I can be see that. Yeah. But I think personally, I think until people stop treating it like a stock, it's like the hardly anybody's buying goods and services with cryptocurrencies right now. Right. Um, which I know that will lead into an entire different subject that mm-hmm. I think we'll try to get into next seg- next uh, episode um, because people aren't using it as a currency because they're afraid if I buy my Forty dollar pizza today with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Next week, that's going to be a three hundred dollar pizza. Right. So I don't want to waste my money. Yeah, there's a real disincentive right now. It seems with the instability and the, the volatility, and I, that's where I say it's going to lead into this whole other discussion about yeah. how will cryptocurrencies become stable actual currency. Right. Well, tech. Yeah. Well, we can get into that, but. Technology is deflationary. People buy cell phones, laptops. I know when I bought this TV that's sitting in my oh. living room here, I knew that if I waited a year, it'd be $500 cheaper and yeah. it would be twice as good. But people will continue to buy the things that they need to buy with a deflationary currency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what it might do is encourage savings instead of encouraging spending, which, wow, that's a radical thought, uh, right? Yeah, that's not how... That, I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. That is not... How capitalism works. No, that, that can't be right. <laughs> but we can definitely tear into that. I think that'd be a fun subject to look at that. Is it actually practical to have a, an economy that's based on deflationary currency where it encourages saving over spending? Which is an unanswered question because I don't think we've ever had that. Um, not in recent history, modern history. No, not in a really long time. So. Okay. So I don't know if we answered how how Bitcoin, like to your satisfaction, how Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies aren't yeah. stocks, but they're physically. I'm I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them. <laughs> they're they're definitionally different, right? And yeah, they're kind of treated the same by users right now, but that can all change. Yeah. So they're not the same 
people are kind of using them the same. They're using them for speculation. Right. When you buy stock, you don't. Most people don't care about the company. Oh, no, no, they no. just want to see it gonna the make stock the price increase. Is it going to yeah. be money? So if you think money? it's money, yeah, if the company's <laughs> going to spread and, and develop in the future, and you you know you think that's going to happen, then you buy the stock, hoping that the stock price will go up. Yeah. as they become successful and sell more products. So, so technically, they are not the same thing. No, they're not at all. Again, you can classify cryptocurrencies a lot of different ways. We're still trying to figure out exactly what they are because they're something mm-hmm. new. They're multiple things. They're commodities. They're currency. They could potentially be securities all at the same time. But I think the biggest the biggest uh, differentiation is that there's no company. There's no organization right. behind Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody owns it. There's no president. There's no CEO. There's no board of directors that are looking out for the bottom line. It's just technology. It's just code. Right. And people will continue to code it. And uh, if it, again, if it has utility and becomes successful, which it's going in that direction, it should, you know, increase usage mm-hmm. and the air quote stock price should go up. Yeah. Although it, practically people <laughs> right now are by and large treating it like a stock. Yeah. But hopefully that will. And we'll talk about how it can change at a different point. But hopefully over time, It'll get to a point where, yeah, no, it's actually it's a currency, and I can tell the difference between that because I just bought a hot dog. Right. I buy stuff with Bitcoin all the time, but I've bought, but I'm weird. So yeah, I've bought pizza. <laughs> I have bought pizza and I have bought beer. <laughs> bought my laptop here with Bitcoin. <laughs> nice. My cell phone in my pocket with Bitcoin. So, Dang. Yeah. I don't. I, I want it to get there because of all the things we've talked about already and all the other episodes that I'm not going to go into because I'd take it hours and hours and hours and hours. But I want cryptocurrencies to supplant and actually do be that financial revolution right. that we talk about. Yeah, it's coming. There's a lot of different organizations, companies right now that are building uh, utility tokens or cryptocurrencies that are aimed at doing just that, increasing usage, making it easier to spend, and also trying to make it more stable so that the price doesn't fluctuate so wildly. So it's coming. A lot of them um, are planned to release actually like second, third quarter this year. Uh, we're going to see a lot more innovation in point of sale. Where So when you walk into your local coffee shop or bar or restaurant or whatever, you're going to see cryptocurrencies accepted here, multiple kinds, not just Bitcoin or Litecoin, but... Uh, quite a few different um, options when it comes to cryptocurrencies. So, so awesome. So, I think that kind of leads into the um, actually a listener question. Um, Adam, who's uh, in, currently in Japan, he asked. Uh, here you go. I, I'll actually just read what he said on Facebook. So, after one episode, I do have a question on something that you said a number of times. New financial system. Mm. I do agree that this is a new financial system. However, do you feel that cryptocurrency in general has is able to do things that the current financial system is able to do? If at some point crypto is, will it not become the same system we currently have anyway? That's a good question. Yeah, and we don't have time right now. <laughs> but we can tackle that next time. Yeah, huh? so I think that's definitely something we're going to get into in episode six. Ding, ding. That means you guys have to listen to episode six. Just come back and it'll be good for you. Yeah. And you won't have to wait as long this time. So hopefully we'll be turning about one a week, maybe one every two weeks. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. But stay tuned. Make sure you guys uh, subscribe and uh, like us on uh, iTunes and, and all that stuff yeah. so you can stay up to date. And we can keep coming back and providing you guys answers and content. Definitely. Get involved. Stay involved. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your dog. I don't care. Just tell some people and like us on the iTunes. Five stars. Apparently, that's what's good for podcasts and helps more people hear them. So that's what I've heard. Let's do that. All right. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks, Corey. Thank you, Aaron.
I know one of the most terrifying things when you're first getting started in this space is setting up a wallet. Yeah. I was lucky. I had you. You, like, okay, go to your store, download this thing, and now while I'm sitting here next to you, I'm going to tell you, get your seed words. I'm hiding my eyes. Right. While you do this, and you walk me through it. But I know most people don't have that because we're geographically dislocated and whatnot. Uh, so the question is, wallets for beginners, mm-hmm. what's your advice? So my advice would be, I guess, to take a similar approach to what I took when I first got started. I'd heard about Bitcoin. Oh, I told you guys my whole story. But in, anyway, so I wanted to get some just to play around with it. Um, I was still a little bit skeptical, but I said, what the hell? I got 50 bucks. I think it might have been 100 bucks. I'm going to get 100 bucks and play around with it. Worst case scenario, I lose it, I screw it up, I'll be okay. I've spent 100 bucks on stupider things before. So so my advice to you is um, just download a couple different wallets. Use a mobile wallet at first so you can get Bread Wallet, Mycelium, Electrum. Um, if you go to wemovecoins.com, I think Corey found that website. Yeah, just There's a pretty Google. good tutorial on that. But yeah, just go to Google Play, get a few different wallets, um, go to Coinbase, it's mm-hmm. pretty easy. It's mo- like most other services. It's going to ask you um, some basic identifying information, ask you for your bank account or credit card, purchase your Bitcoin, and then just start sending it around. Transfer your money out to your mobile wallet. You can send it from your bread wallet to your mycelium wallet over to Electrum back and forth until you get comfortable just kind of seeing how the transactions yeah. work. Um, and, you know, Bitcoin addresses, your private keys. Again, make sure that you back those up. So get, write down your seed words um, so that you can always restore the coins if you if you delete your app or you lose it for whatever And most, most of these wallets, are in, while you're setting them up, they're good at prompting you to do these things and tell yeah. you, hey, dummy, this is a very important thing that we're doing right now. Keep right. it safe. Don't put it on any yeah. electronics. Most of them won't even let you proceed until you re-enter the seed words for verification mm-hmm. so they mm-hmm. know that you actually wrote them down and can re-enter them. Yeah. Um, so their wallets are improving, they're getting better, but you know, when I started back in 2012, it was really pretty sketchy. I had to go through, um, some weird website to get Linden bucks. And then I was buying, uh, coins off of Mt. Gox and transfer them out. And there wasn't the nearly the amount of support or, um, you know, wallets that they have out now. But like I said, I just transferred it. And that's how I learned a lot about Bitcoin. You know, the magic of Bitcoin is, you got to just kind of transfer it and play with it, and you'll you'll see. You'll have that aha moment. Mm-hmm. But you can just download an app, start it up, and now you've got access. And yeah. They can send you Bitcoin. You yeah. can send Bitcoin to anybody. They don't need any you, personally identifying information, which is which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. You, you were out in the woods rubbing sticks together, yeah. where now at least we have <laughs> matches. Right. Just a little bit <laughs> so, of kindling, some gasoline maybe. It's so. getting easier all the time. But uh, for me, I, I my advice would be, you know what? Put on your big kid pants, mm-hmm. get a little sense of adventure, and just try it. Yep. The only way you're going to learn it is by doing it. I literally, I Googled, how do I set up a bread uh, bread wallet? Yeah. And 
I got YouTube videos that can tell me. I've got different sites that have picture with mm-hmm. captions just laying it all out for you. So it's not a cop-out, but what I don't want to do is sit here and do a step one, we do this. Step two, we do that. Because then you'd be sitting here rewinding 500 times just to try to remember what I just said so that you're following along with it. And mm-hmm. that's not what a podcast is for. And I don't want to waste your time like that. So my advice is don't listen to me. Right. Go out and do it yourself. Yep. Coinbase is the easiest. There's more exchanges coming, but for for new users, get a coin. Go to Coinbase, mm-hmm. set up an account, purchase some Bitcoin, and then send them to a wallet that you control and play yeah. with. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, the very best option, the option that I had, is have a friend. Yeah, find an Aaron. <laughs> yes, um, yes. We all need our own Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, it's it's not as hard as you think it is. Uh, yes, it seems like you're in a completely upside down weird weird world the first time you start trying to do it, and it is daunting. I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sense of if I push this, is my house gonna blow up or whatever? <laughs> I mean, it's there. I, I I had it. Yeah. But like Aaron said, get it. Follow our advice and keep all of it safe with your seed words, but then play with it. Mm-hmm. Throw some money at it, just a little bit, that anything what you feel comfortable with, and play with it. Yep, and doing that will will prompt questions. I'm sure there's going to be things you're going to yeah. see and not quite understand, but hey, you can Google that too. And yeah, that's, that's the best path to go down is approaching this with curiosity, just trying to learn more. Yeah, and uh, ultimately, the people that are going to win in this space are the people that mm-hmm. are learning now and investing the time and the energy to. To learn the technology, learn what's going on, and, and get a hold of some of it. Yeah, I, mean, I got news for you. If you're getting into crypto right now, you are an early adopter. Yeah. That exactly. means things are not going to be super easy for you. Yeah, exactly. My brother was actually just telling me uh, today that uh, he's got a friend who's got a, a brother or a son that's uh, 40 years old. He works in IT in New York City, um, Times Square, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he'd never even heard of Bitcoin or blockchain. Wow. So... It's still early, still new. There's oh, yeah. lots of time. Yeah. Um, but it's moving really fast. So So once you do get that wallet set up and you get it going, pat yourself on the back. I'm proud of you, even though I don't know you, because I know what it is going through that. And I can't even imagine what it was like for you, Aaron, back yeah. in 2012. Come oh, on. <laughs> Would you have a teletype telling you what to yeah. do? Yeah. <laughs> no, it took me several hours and a lot of frustration. <laughs> and I was, yeah. There was when I was exchanging Linden bucks for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And back, I was like, "What the fuck? What am I doing?" But it worked out okay. <laughs> so it's an adventure. Yeah. Embrace it as such. Uh, tell us about your Bitcoin, Bitcoin and crypto woes, and getting started. And tell me your story using our social media places because that's what this is about. It's right. your community and everything we can learn from each other. That's going to work out even better for everybody else. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's really all. I don't think we need to go much more on to, to beginner wallets for beginners because... No, I think we covered it even probably in the first couple episodes. But that's a good refresher if you guys are still a little bit leery or not quite yeah. there yet. So Yeah, um, just I think the only real big driving thing besides adventure is remember your seed words, mm-hmm. write them down someplace safe, store them someplace safe, don't lose them. That's your money. There you go. So enjoy and uh, happy adventuring, everyone. Have fun. The proceeding was an Acorn production. All opinions expressed are those of the hosts alone. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. 
We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy the show, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Telegram, or email us at clearlycryptopod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.